Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. <laughs> we're still knee deep in tech, and this is episode 58. And we're happy. Well, let's see about that, <laughs> shall we? Because this is the first episode we're doing not at the same place. Because you are way out in the boondocks, and I am back home. So when is this recorded? When is this recorded? That's a very good question. I'm very happy you asked that question. It is, it is Friday, December the 7th yep. at the time of this recording. We'll see when I get around to, to actually edit it and, and release it. Hmm. Yeah. So what's happening in the world of IT this week? I have not yet had any Power BI desktop update for December. I think that is actually going to come out next week. Yep. And uh, my first thought was that not too many updates and, and stuff. But as, as always, when I troll Twitter, I find some very, very interesting stuff. So I'm going to start this week with a, a blog post by Marco Russo aptly called Understanding the Numeric Data Type Conversions in DAX. And as he put it on Twitter, a very boring and very important blog post. That, that was my first thought, that this sounds boring, but it would probably be way more interesting. Well, it is kind of boring because it's all about how does DAX and Power BI handle numeric data types and numeric data type conversions. And one big issue is the fact that the, the data types are not necessarily called the same thing depending on your data source. And that can me lead to some uh, confusion, to put it bluntly. And that, that's a bit of an issue, but Marco does what Marco always does. And that is lay it out simply and succinctly and very, very clearly. How does this work? What kind of numeric data types do we have? How do they convert and how do they behave? So it, it's it's an awesome uh, blog post. Read it. We're going to link it in the show notes. And, and could you, is he one of the famous Italians? Yes, it's Marco yeah. and Alberto who are the Italians with the yeah. capitalized I. Yeah. Uh, so it's basically them and then the, the people that live on Sicily. The famous families of Sicily. I don't know if either of them are from Sicily. I'm going to have to ask them. Yeah, definitely. But but could you give an example on when this could be important that I would understand? Oh, <laughs> everything, everything was fine up until then. <laughs> well, uh, we have uh, several types of, of numerical data types, integers, decimals, and currency. And depending on where you're coming from, an integer may behave in rather different ways. Uh, for instance, if you're used to um, programming, depending on the language you're using, integer can mean different things. If you're coming from SQL Server, integer can mean one thing. There are a lot of different other data types that you might find, so to speak. Then we come to, depending on what kind of data type you're looking, uh, sorry, uh, data source you're looking at, Say, for instance, the analysis services might not necessarily behave in exactly the same kind, depending on your data type. So that's one thing. And, of course, when it comes to um, uh, calculating data types, 
you might receive different uh, effects depending on the data type you're working with. So go read the um, the blog post. It's pretty clear and pretty obvious what, what's what's happening. So, so what you basically said now were, yeah, uh, I've tried to explain this in a way you should understand, Simon, but go and read the bloody blog post. Pretty much. Yeah. And one might actually laugh at this, but the more I think of it, and this is a serious question, have you ever been exposed to a need to learn about different data types? I don't think so. And and that's that's one of the things I like in doing these podcasts and working with you. And, and that's what I hope to uh, learn more about when we actually get to a point where we can present something together at preferably a, a data type of conference. Uh-huh. Uh, because I think I could do way more than I can today. Uh, it's just that I ignore that fact or work around it in some way, shape or form, or let someone else handle it for me. It's a very good point. I mean, there, there are a lot, lot of things that I don't know that I know about uh, your stuff and, and vice versa. But the more I think of it, data types are so basic for people that work with, with data and, and databases and stuff. But we have a tendency not to realize that this might not necessarily be the bread and butter for everybody else. Yep. And assumption is the mother of all fuck-ups. Lost famous words. Oh, yeah. And uh, moving on to more interesting blog posts. And this one... Did, did I they can... just say it in the wrong way? Huh? Lost famous words. Famous lost words. Yep. Yeah. That's yes. the title of this I think pod. it is. Yeah. Lost famous words. Lost famous words. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to talk Keep about on. another uh, blog post that I cannot recommend you to read. <laughs> it, 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 and apparently it, you are in sales. Now, uh, it's going to hurt your brain. And seriously, it's going to hurt your brain. One of the guys at the CAT team is Casper de Jong. He is based out of, of uh, the Netherlands. And he just penned a, uh, a blog post about time intelligence. And time intelligence in, in Power BI, it basically means if you have a table with a date, just a regular date, like the 7th of, of December, what do you know about that date? Well, you know that it's the 7th of December, but how do you know which quarter it's in? Which month it is in? As a human, that's pretty easy because we know it's December, the fourth quarter. But depending on your uh, logic, what? how do you get this information? And this is where um, time intelligence comes into play. And there are many different ways of, of handling this in Power BI. You can have a specific table with a crap ton of dates, kind of a lookup table. So whenever you need to find a specific date, you look into this table and you know which quarter and so on and so forth. Didn't you do a blog post or did we just talk about this? A long, like long time ago. Spring, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. That was before Power BI had... Uh, kind of it's built in data intelligence, which is great, but not necessarily good enough for all kinds of things. So there are a, a multitude of ways to do more or less complex state calculations. And most of the time you need to do some, some DAX. But what Casper is showing, and this was a pattern created by a guy called Greg Galloway, 
which is insanely skilled at, at doing these kind of things, is that you can do time intelligence with just the data model. You don't necessarily need to program anything in DAX. And this, it's beautiful, but how he came up with this completely blows my mind. So don't go read this blog post, Simon. You will not understand. <laughs> Thank you, but others may understand it and should read it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> of course, uh, Patrick LeBlanc, a.k.a. Wasabi Mustard Sauce, <laughs> just uh, put up a... Um, Did he change uh, his Twitter handle to that? I don't think he did, no, but he, he has he a tendency to... He should, but he always uses uh, hashtag wasabi mustard yep. sauce. He just put up a new uh, Guy in the Cube video on paginated reports and how to set data source, data sets, and, and parameters. Paginated reports is how to run SQL Server reporting services reports within PowerBI.com. Uh, That's a new feature that was uh, only available to the... Power BI report server earlier, but now you can run it in the uh, the portal as well. Sounds good. It is absolutely awesome. Yeah. And I think it's time for you to say something. <laughs> I don't know where to start. Where to start? It's been a, it's been a great week. I'm so happy that we didn't record the podcast yesterday. Uh, so let's start with that. Uh, I'm kind of. Likewise, we were this close to recording yesterday, but we decided, no, we don't have the time. Let's do it remotely. And then we went to bed, and when we woke up, and pretty much everything had happened. <laughs> sort of, kind of. Joe Belfiore, or let's start from the actual beginning. Um, four days ago, uh, Windows Central uh, published uh, an article with the following headline. Microsoft is building a Chromium-powered Chromium web browser that will replace Edge on Windows 10. And there were a number of different articles from other sources following on this. And I, my first feeling was that, yeah, but yeah, sure. Um, and I based that pretty much on two things. First of all, that some of these articles said Chrome, not Chromium, which is a huge difference. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other thing was that I had a throwback Thursday moment. Since when I started off speaking about Windows 10, almost three years ago now, and even before Windows 10 was released, um, there were rumors about Edge at that time being based on Chromium, which didn't happen. So three years later, we are back at where we started three years ago. Uh, but what it really means is that they will, uh, Microsoft will be making a considerable investment in the Chromium open source project to develop Edge on both the Windows desktop, but also on other platforms. So over time, they'll replace the engine that now is driving Edge and replace it for Chromium, um, which will enable a bunch of different things. Both a, a better compatibility between browsers, better compatibility when it comes to web applications inside of organizations, and that we will get Edge on all, basically all supported uh, platforms. So from Windows 7 upwards, Mac OS, and so on. Um, it's, it's definitely a, a logical step if you look at Microsoft as such. Uh, 
they are open sourcing everything. We'll probably talk a bit more about that later on. Um, I think it will be will be good. Uh, and I think like looking at especially Edge on Android and iOS, where I have a bunch of colleagues and customers and friends that absolutely hate Edge in Windows 10, which hello, I yeah, and I don't understand it. It's it's a matter of I guess uh, in the same way as I don't understand data, you don't understand Edge. Well, what is there to understand? The darn thing does not work, period. <laughs> it does work brilliantly. It's quick. It's easy to use. And it's remind me again, secure. does it work perfectly in the Azure portal? No, it doesn't. Does it work perfectly <laughs> in Power BI? No, it doesn't. Do go on. <laughs> yeah, and I won't even... Not... To not put everything on the Power BI team, which I could, I won't do that. We'll move on and just agree on that I'm right. Uh, and this is, in a way, it's not new. And like I started off with before you started to rant about how you don't understand Edge. Uh, Edge on iOS and Android is really popular. And I have even colleagues, friends, um, and others in, in that the last group is where you are included um, that actually have started to use Edge and prefer Edge over even Chrome on Android. I don't know if you do that, but I have definitely a bunch of people that do that now. I don't run Android. I run iOS. Yeah, you do. You do. Uh, do you but run having Edge? said that, I, I, no, I, I run, um, no, God, no. I run uh, Chrome. <laughs> you should try Edge, really. Uh, it, it, like, I know that you are using quite a lot of plugins for Edge, and that I get, and that will make it a hard switch to to Edge or any other browser, really. Um, but it's actually a really good, decent web browser on mobile platforms, and we'll probably see the same thing here. And on iOS and Android, as I've understood it, you are required to run the actual engine that comes with the OS. So Edge on Android is running Chromium already, or at least the same core as Chrome would run on Android. And when it comes to iOS, it's the same. It runs the same core as Safari. Hmm. Uh, but it, it's it's great news. And they've also done then, to do this, they will also enable um, separate updates for Edge apart from Windows, which is good, uh, as I see it. Uh, and They've also opened up an insider program for Edge, where you can, um, by beginning of 2019, start to get the latest um, updates from on, on Edge and provide feedback. So it's a huge news item, um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, the only thing I'm I would like to understand better, and please educate me, uh, you or someone else. One of the benefits of using Edge is that since it wasn't open source, Microsoft had, has been able to tie it really close to the, the Windows core. That At least that could be a part of it. Um, and being able to implement security features that no one else have been able to do in their browser. And I sure hope that this change from the current um, core of Edge to Chromium will keep all of those security features intact. I'd have to say that that depends entirely on 
No, it doesn't. Because if you put in anything that is open sourced by the GNU license, all of the stuff in there is going to be need to be open sourced. Yeah, so, so you cannot pick and choose in that case. And then that will be interesting because that has been one of the selling points for using Edge on Windows. Yeah, yeah. and that I get completely the the whole yeah. sandboxing experience. Yeah, exactly. Um, so maybe. Yeah. Do you remember just a, a couple of episodes back we had a discussion about the sandbox and the viability of exporting this feature to another browser? Or maybe we're looking at something like that as Microsoft is switching away from Edge. Interesting times ahead. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah. Uh, and should we just, just for the interest of time, go to something that everyone should be aware of going into 2019 <laughs> and staying on software? Yeah, why not? Um, Do you have anything that runs Java? Me, personally? No, I don't. And I think that is a good thing because yeah. Oracle is starting to charge for Java. So you're going to have to pay licenses for Java yeah, going forward. Yeah, yeah. And let's just say that it's not cheap. No. No. Did We, we did see an example. The Java SE Advanced Desktop Mm -hmm. And this is licensed per named user plus. Yeah, name, name, known as Noop in, yeah. in Oracle parlance. And that cost, including uh, software update and licensing and support, is close to $50 per user. Yeah, and that's not too bad. No, but, but... the minimum yep. Noop licenses you need to purchase is 2,000 of them. So that means $100,000 a year. Yeah. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, Oracle has, has a long history of asking <laughs> you or forcing you to pay exorbitant amounts of money. So there you have it. Enjoy your Oracle uh, and, world and, and, going forward. Yeah, and this will start January 1st. Yes, very, very sudden. And I have so many things I could say about this. Uh, the good thing about it is that perhaps, hopefully, we'll get rid of Java eventually. Yeah, uh, I'd like it. Yeah, but Oracle well, will probably earn a few dollars prior to that. Oh, they're, they're going to make a, a, a crap ton of money, as they always do. But they are also going to alienate even more people. I think this is a good thing for them financially in the short run, but in the long run, yeah, I think it's another heavy-handed, bluntly put, stupid way of doing things. Yeah. But uh, another thing that I've come across that has nothing to do with this, and this might actually be one of the worst segues I've ever done, <laughs> uh, what is a new Windows Lite. I heard about something that was aimed specifically at the Chrome book and the Chrome OS. Yeah. And this isn't, again, confirmed in any way. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have actually spoken about this in a way like two years ago, just before Windows 10S came out. The, the um, Microsoft Windows Cloud OS or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we I remember that. Point. That was before the podcast, but I remember that. Yeah. Uh, and 
Now they are apparently working on something called Lite, which will be based on the new Core OS, or the new Windows Core OS. Um, and this is apparently aimed targeting Chromebooks, and should be really, really light, of course, just as Windows RT in a way. Uh, Dumb question. Yeah. What is the Windows Core OS? Do we know that? Um, no, not yet. Uh, but one of the things you, you could connect to that is the new experience of the new Surface Hub. Looking at the Surface Hub 2X, which will be released in 2020, uh, you know that you can flip that screen around. Mm -hmm. And the rotation of that is super smooth and just mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. That isn't at all possible with the current core of Windows. So they're now building a new core OS, which will be much more flexible than the current one. Okay. Um, still Windows 10, but with new possibilities again. And they've been spoken about this for, for ages. It has had many names, uh, but one of the things you could think of doing with the core OS would be something like Windows Lite. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so we'll see where that ends up. In a way, I, I get that you would like a smaller footprint of Windows and that you perhaps at some point could run it in a browser or whatever. But you will quote me on this. Do we really need more versions of Windows or SKUs yeah. of Windows? Yeah. I, I, I see where you're going yeah. with that. We, we have Windows 10S. We, we have all those things and looking at looking at a decent Chromebook competitor Chromebooks sells on price that's the thing I, I know people love the actual G Suite and, and Google Android for Enterprise and everything when it comes to that mm -hmm. but it's a price point that's the reason why uh, many choose to use Chromebooks and I'll get so many angry tweets and, and emails on this. Uh, it's a price point. You you can say whatever you like when it comes to management and so on, but it's a price point. Right. And looking at, for example, the Surface Go, which is a premium device running full Windows with Windows Hello, everything, and it's in the same price range as e yeah the the more expensive Chromebooks. Really. Yeah, yeah. It's... Well, what's what's the price of a um, a normal Chromebook? I thought uh, that was like three hundred and four hundred dollars. Yeah, they, they have gone up quite a lot, but I would say like yeah, some somewhere around three or four hundred dollars. And the the smallest Surface Go is four hundred dollars, excluding the keyboard. So it's a bit more expensive. Okay. Yep. Uh, but then again, you have everything. You have a full Windows. You can do anything you like. Hmm. And it, it's really not either the um, the hardware that drives the cost. It's in a way it is, uh, but not the hardware related to the actual OS. Like if 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 you would make Windows one gigabyte instead of ten gigabytes, that wouldn't matter at all from a from a price point on devices. If it would run on one gigabyte of RAM instead of four, that wouldn't make such a huge price point. As okay. I see it, at least. Yeah, um, yeah. 
So I would say that, yeah, Windows 10 S uh, will take you far. I'm looking forward to Lite if it ever gets released. But at, at some point, we, we really need to, in my way, in my opinion, it, it's not one Windows anymore. It's 10 or 15 different versions of Windows. Uh, yeah. And, and I, for one, see that uh, if we can get back to one Windows that are adaptive, that would make a huge difference. That's a good point. Yeah. Okay. This was cool. a semi-rant, I guess. But yeah, they are talking about it. This is a, from, from Brad Sams, uh, the famous Surface Book. Oh, that was a huge horrible way of saying it that the surface book you talked about last episode um under the surface or whatever it was called mm-hmm. it, it's the same guy all right at, uh, Petri. You, you said something pretty interesting you said that the surface 2x is due to be released 2020 correct yeah, yeah. what's going to come out 2019 surface hub 2s aimed oh. at q2 2019 okay is that the same hardware uh, or, or should I say, is, is that the same shell as the one that we have yeah. today? Or is, yeah. okay, it's it's the same shell, but it's the new awesome hardware platform, uh, and they will probably be, uh, or they will be upgradable. Uh, so you will be able to run the newer OS when it's released. But this is a good way for organizations that already have made an investment in Surface Hub and would like to continue that without getting two different experiences to move up. And when the new OS is released with together with the uh, 2X model, they can easily upgrade the experience to the new one. But they don't get the um, pivot function and no. stuff like that? No. So um, I get the feeling that the 2S is just a, a stopgap to get something out so you don't have a huge gap between... Well, you can't buy the Surface hub today because it's just it's out it's, it's out, out of stock, stock everywhere yeah. and waiting yeah. more than a year would be disastrous so yeah. how can i buy a 2s without getting the feeling that this is just a slightly refurbished uh, surface with uh, but, maybe but slightly you, upgraded in, in, in but in my internals. view you you won't you won't get that you will get a, a great experience from the software that's good as it is already but you will get a much sleeker device with a higher resolution screen new cameras everything will be top notch yeah uh, and hopefully you, you at a better price point you're you're looking at that kind of of discussion with with clients i suppose no since it's since it's upgradable and and uh, i I, no. But it doesn't matter. It's like the the discussion of uh, an iPhone X versus an iPhone eight. Yeah. The difference in hardware is not that great. It's the exact same software, but a lot of people looked at the uh, eight and said, "Oh, this is a dead end now. There's no point in buying this." And I think that a lot of people are going to look at the Surface Two S and think, "Well, this is a dead end." I don't want to pay a premium for this dead end. And while that might not necessarily be the actual case, I think that's uh, a kind of story that we're going to hear a lot. But I, I don't, sorry, I don't understand what, what you mean by dead end since it's upgradable to the newest. The, the 2X will be the exact same hardware, 
as the Jewess? No, it's not going to be the same shell, correct? Not the same, not the same Windows OS. No. No, 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 no. Shell. When I mean the the external plastic. Yeah, shell. yeah, that will be the exact same as the Jewess, which it's which is great. So the two S and the two X are going to be look identical. Yep. And the two S is going to be rather different from Surface Hub One. Definitely. When it comes to the look and feel of the hardware, uh, they will do improvements to the software as well, but that will be the same experience as with the one or the Gen 1 of Surface Hub. Aha, uh-huh. that kind of yep. turns everything on its head. Then I misunderstood. Okay, yep, sorry. then disregard yep. everything I just said. <laughs> uh, we're running out of time, but I just wanted to put, point out one thing. Did you see the, the tweet I linked to in the notes? Which one? Um, oh, power the of power of Microsoft, Microsoft in the community. community. I'll just read it. It's from David James, who is um, in charge of Config Manager and Intune at um, at Microsoft. Uh-huh. I'll just read it, and, and then you can comment. An industry first. This item went from idea to Cabana to finding user voice, got 100 votes, started, coded, demoed at the conference, completed in user voice, in less than five hours and will be released in the next technical preview of Config Manager. Whoa. Mind blown. Quite cool. So from an idea at a conference to being included in the next TP in less than five hours. Yeah, beat that if you can. Yep. Holy cow. Yeah. That's amazing. That product think... group is just amazing, and I'm so happy to be, at least in a way, a part of it. Sure. Yeah. And on that bombshell, I think <laughs> it's definitely time to end the show. And thank you very much for listening. We'll be back hopefully next week. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Bye.